You are listening to a message brought to you by Christian Life Church Lempster. To find out more about us, go to www.clch.cc. Just as you are finding those verses, I'm going to give you kind of a, an update or a review of where we've been the past few weeks. So here in Lempster Church, we kind of abide by three key values, three key characteristics of what makes us who we are. And we've been preaching on those for the past few weeks, and this is a bit of a test now. Uh, the first one we did about three or four weeks ago, begins with J. Joyful obedience. Joyful obedience, yes, Ruben. So joyful obedience. Uh, the next one which we did last week, which Paula did, uh, began with S. Who... Supernatural. Super fragile, no, <laughs> supernatural overflow. Brilliant. And then the third one this week is a generous outreach. So joyful obedience, supernatural overflow, and generous outreach. And for any of you keen-eyed uh, literary folk out there, you might be thinking, why have we chosen oxymorons to describe our, our values? How can you be joyfully obedient? How can you be supernatural overflow in terms of discipline in the gifts of the Spirit? And how can you be generous in your outreach? We're going to be looking at these today. But we're going to be doing this through the story of John 6. Now, this is a story that many of you have probably done or heard of since you were, well, probably as small as my third daughter there, Joanna. Um, this is a story that we all know and love. And hopefully it's going to open it up a little bit more today to see how this impacts our lives and influences us as a church. So, John 6, uh, verses 1. Three for a little while. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign that Jesus had performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. I think that's it for now. So, Holy Spirit, just as we open up these words and as we kind of um, as we mine goodness and truth you have for us today from these words written hundreds and thousands of years ago, God, we just pray this morning that you um, bring conviction of things that are going to move us closer into your kingdom. Bring a directive this morning into our hearts, into each person right now, that moves us closer into your kingdom. Jesus, I thank you that these words weren't written just as a nice story, but they're words that are written that are life-giving. So today, God, we say we want this life. 
help, uh, help our eyes to be open, our ears to be open, and our hearts to be ready to receive what you have for us this morning. Amen. Amen. So, um, a large crowd was following Jesus. When it starts off by saying Jesus went to a mountainside, uh, when you hear the words Jesus and mountainside, you've got to think Jesus' special place. I don't know where your special place is. Uh, my special place is going for a walk by myself with my earphones in. That's what I do. Uh, if I want to get a bit of downtime uh, with three kids and uh, a very loud house, that does happen quite a lot. Um, so I don't know where your special place is, but Jesus has a special place. And he invites his disciples along with him. And they come to sit down at the top of this mountain, mountainside. And as Jesus is about to start speaking, the disciples are there ready, intently waiting to see what Jesus is about to say. And then a large crowd appears. Now, I don't know what you're like when you want your downtime, but if you're wanting some time by yourself and then suddenly a whole bunch of people walk up wanting time, wanting you and energy, you might not be in the best mood. That might just be me. And when they saw, the disciples saw all these people turning up, not only might have been a little bit distraught, like, oh, we were waiting for Jesus' teaching. But they're now thinking, well, the first question is, what are we going to do with all these people? 5,000 men, they counted. Now, estimates go somewhere between 7,000 people in total up to 20,000. That's a lot of people. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to a concert with that many people in, but it's quite a large space. So then Jesus, his first question is... Lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread to eat so that these people may eat? Now, that might not have been your first question. Your first question might have been, where am I, where's my exit plan? Your first question might have been, what illness am I going to conjure up now so people don't have to speak to me? You're, <laughs> you're laughing, but this is what people do. Um, and also, your other question might be, can I just hide? You know, where's the nearest rock? But instead, Jesus' response was, what are the needs of the people coming? His response wasn't, what do I need? His response was, what do the disciples need? His response was, not only, what do those people need? But he's like, we need to feed these people. They're coming all this way. They've come up the mountain. How are we going to feed them? Now, Jesus has placed the responsibility onto who? Philip. Jesus could have easily said, right, well, you guys, you 5,000 men, you come up here with like a lunchbox, tough cookies. You could have done, couldn't you? Easily. You know, you're the man of the household. You haven't got yourself prepared. Your own fault. We're going to have our own little uh, campfire over here. Over to you. But no, Jesus takes responsibility for those that have come looking for something. So Philip, who's now a very astute, clearly a mathematician, does a quick calculation looking at all the people that are coming up the side of the hill and realises that to feed that many people with a bite each, just a bite, or even satisfaction, just a bite each, he says that's going to cost half a year's wages. It was a little bit more than that, technically, um, but half a year's wages. So with this response... What's Philip kind of thinking at the moment, do you reckon? Can't do it. This is not going to go well. 
And if any of you guys, um, speaking to the mums and wives here, if any of you know of a, a hungry man uh, walking up a hill, uh, probably going to have quite an angry crowd. Um, so this responsibility that Jesus has put on his disciples to feed the crowd, the first response is, we cannot do it. This is simply too much, Jesus. What on earth are you on about? How are we going to do this? This is half a year's wage with nothing taken for yourself. Sometimes you might feel like Philip does right now. Jesus, this is too much. The cost is too much. It takes me too much. The need is far greater than I'm able to give or find. So what happens then? This is a dilemma that Phil, Philip, Phil, <laughs> Philip finds, finds himself in. And then, kind of, just, just, does Jesus come to the rescue at that moment? No, he leaves him hanging. Oh, I hate those moments. Kind of, you, you know when someone's in a bit of a quandary, and you're like, I'm just going to let them, let them kind of, what's the word? Not see you. Kind of let, let them bubble quite a bit, let them stew a little bit longer, just see what happens. You know full well there's an answer to it. Like, if you've got kids, and you're kind of helping them work through anger management, um, helping them just a little bit longer than you might otherwise do, just to help them get used to being frustrated. Um, it's quite a useful technique. Letting them kind of gather their emotions, letting them understand what they're walking through, give them some words to work out what it is that they're feeling. So Jesus doesn't come in and rescue Philip. It's okay, babe, I'm going to save you. I've got, I've got it all in my back pocket, don't worry. He lets Philip and the disciples worry for a little while. Now, at some point in that worry, in the 5,000 men that are there, up comes a little boy. Now, if you can imagine this being played out on a theatre scene, you've got 13 grown men, well, 12 grown men and Jesus. Jesus body over here, looking kind of very wise and stoic. You've got Philip, who now suddenly feels he is the leader of the disciples, trying to work out how he's going to feed 5,000 people over in that direction. You've got another 11 people thinking, I'm so glad Jesus did not ask me. Um, <laughs> you've got a whole crowd of people over there. All these guys here pulling their hair, what are we going to do? Are we going to make it worship? And then out of this crowd of people, who comes out? A little boy. Um, now, if any of you, have any of you guys seen Oliver? The, the, yeah? I'm kind of imagining a little scene like this. You've got a little little boy, can't, can't go any further. Huge crowd of grown men. Small panicking crowd of grown men. Out of the midst comes this little boy with his brown paper bag. And what's he got in it? He's got five loaves and two fish. Five and two fish. Now that, that's not, now the, John, the guy who wrote this book, he says five barley loaves. Now the reason he wrote, wrote down barley loaves as a, as a, you know, who really cares what's it made out of? It's just five loaves of bread. Barley is the cheapest possible thing you can get to make a loaf of bread out of, okay? So this little kid, in amongst 5,000 men, 12 men pulling their hair out, and Jesus comes out with a small paper bag of the smallest possible lunch that he could have had that day, and he comes up, and he offers it to Jesus. Picture that scene. Jesus gave the responsibility to Philip and the disciples, yet who took the responsibility? The little boy. No matter what it is that you feel you have or you do not have, 
every one of you has something that you can offer. No matter if everyone else around you is pulling their hair out, is not knowing what to do with their responsibility, is unknowing in terms of what we're going to do with this mess, what we're going to do with this seemingly huge problem in front of us, God has given you a brown paper bag full of everything you need for today. So this little boy comes up and he offers it to Jesus, and Jesus says he gives thanks. Now the word for give thanks is actually Eucharist. Jesus Eucharists this lunch. Now, if any of you guys have been around church for a little while, Eucharist is also the communion. Jesus is taking communion. And he blesses this food. He blesses this resource that this little boy has given. It was all he had, but he gave it over. Jesus takes it and he gives thanks. In the, in the, in the Eucharist that he gives, the classic Jewish Eucharist, or the classic Jewish blessing for food as he breaks bread, is actually not about blessing the bread itself, but blessing God. Jesus takes the little that this boy had in faith, in hope, in desperation, and he says, I'll just thank you, God, look, bless you, God, for this. Jesus offers this resource, not over to the people first, but over to God first. Because at this point, we don't know, well, we don't, Jesus does. We don't know what's going to happen with this. The 12 disciples still don't know what's going to happen with this. The 5,000 hungry men are really hoping something really cool happens, but they don't know what's going to happen with this. You don't know what's going to happen in the next step in your life right now. There are moments when you've probably given things over to God and sacrifice, moments that you've given offerings over to God, time, money, emotion, family, friends. You've sacrificed something over in hope. It might not be much, but Jesus, here you go. And we're waiting to see what happens next. So as Jesus then distributes out these five loaves and two fish, which doesn't work out between 12 men, that, that's not mathematically kind of, you've got like half a head, half a tail, you know. I can't imagine being the disciple that gets the tail and the fish, trying to give that out to people. It'd be a bit embarrassing. But he starts getting out this food, and I can't imagine what the people, what the disciples are feeling, but by the end of it, they notice that everyone wasn't just fed with a morsel, wasn't just fed with a bite. Everyone was satisfied. 5,000 men plus others, when they had eaten their fill, not just a little bit, not just enough to get them through the next two hours of preaching, when they had eaten their fill, when each person had received what they needed to feel satisfied, they collected in what was left. They collected in 12 baskets full, and there's, there's a story behind why it's 12. Um, in the other story of feeding 4,000 people, there were seven baskets left over. So the 12 baskets here signifies um, a history of Israel and Jesus coming to fulfill a story, fulfill a prophecy, a promise that was given to his people, the Jews, thousands of years before. Because they're on the top of a mountainside, hungry, waiting for something to come down from heaven, and Jesus feeds them with bread. Now, some of you might be aware this, we're talking about the uh, Israelites being lost in the desert at this point. How does that make sense? Because in the, in the desert, what did the Israelites receive? 
each day of their walking in the desert, they received bread each day. So Jesus is now here saying, well, you remember that story that you talk about every year coming into Passover? Here's what's happening now. You've had your fill. You're going to collect it back up. There's 12 baskets, 12 tribes of Israel. There's, a, there's an echo here that would have been very clear to the people who were receiving it at the moment. And what does he say then next? When the people saw the sign that he had done, so this is kind of, this is John telling you that when the, when the people who received it understood what Jesus was saying, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. It was obvious what was going on here. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So when Jesus was providing for his people, the Jews, what was their response? We want to make you king. You have given us a fill. You have filled our stomachs in the way that God back in the desert times did. This is happening now. So Jesus, clearly you must be king because you have fulfilled our needs. So what does Jesus do? That's when he runs away. He didn't run away when they wanted something. He didn't run away when they were disturbing his me time. He didn't run away when, they were, um, when he wanted his teaching time with his disciples. He ran away when they wanted to make him king. Honour before the hour isn't honourable. Honour before the hour isn't honourable. So he goes by himself and he leaves, leaves the story behind. Now, I want to give you three points from this story. Very quickly, and they're going to tell us what this kind of means for us in Leicester at this moment in time. So, three words. Awareness, movement, provision. Awareness, movement, provision. This story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 gives us a story of our life and our salvation and the way in which we interact with others through the Holy Spirit. Because the first thing is, your faith in Jesus is not just about you in Jesus. Your relationship with God is not just about your relationship with God. Jesus came to earth in the flesh to save you as an individual so that you might be changed and transformed to become the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. Your faith is never meant to be an individual thing. Although Jesus saves individuals, he individually makes us one. Individually, we will form the body of Christ. The moment you accept Jesus, the moment you realize that he is who he says he is, you are entered into that family, that corpus, that bride, that family. So this is a moment when Jesus and the disciples were kind of sat by themselves, ready to do their own thing, have their teaching downtime as a, as a, as a crew, and then suddenly they realize there's a crowd coming. That awareness of something and someone else with a need is absolutely fundamental to your growth and development as a Christian. If you think that your faith is only about you and Jesus, then you are missing probably 
the greatest aspect of your salvation that you will see in this earth, on this earth, in this time, in the flesh. There's an awareness that we need of other people who need something, who are yet to be satisfied. Secondly, as well as giving us an awareness of those in need, we then have a movement towards those in need. I am very well aware of my 11-month-old crying at night at 3 o'clock in the morning. That doesn't always lead me to movement towards her at 3 o'clock in the morning. Just being aware of something does not necessarily mean you move towards it. There has to be a change from awareness to movement. And this is the responsibility. Jesus says to Philip, where are you going to find the bread to feed these people? That awareness causes a movement in the disciples. What are we going to do as a result of the need that we've seen and aware, made aware of in other people? This is the question for you where, well, if God has done this for me, what does this mean for my neighbour? What does this mean for my work colleague? What does this mean for my family? What does this mean for the people I meet, to every, I meet every day? How is it I can meet the needs of people around me that I am now aware of? For those of you who have been a Christian for any amount of time, if people know you're a Christian, or people at the very least know that you are a good ear to listen to, they will come to you with problems and needs and prayer requests. I can guarantee you that almost everyone in this room has had someone come to them and say, I know you're a praying person. I know you're a religious person. I know you're a person of faith. Can I just tell you X? Can I just let you know why? I've not told anyone else this, but Z. God encourages us to be made aware of situations, not just so we can pray to Jesus for them, well that's a great thing to do, but also so we are able to move towards them to help fulfil a need. Yeah? So awareness, movement towards the other person or people. Thirdly, provision. Did the disciples provide the meal by themselves? No. God has not put other people in your lives purely that you as an individual can meet their needs. The scale of the worry, the fear, the hurt, the hunger that people have is too much for you as an individual to fill by yourself. It is too much. The trauma that people have lived through, the experiences that people have lived through, just your coffee cup quotes, although they might be nice, are not enough to fill the gap, to fill the void that these people have. So what is the intent of that movement? The intent is that we don't just move towards them, but we also move towards God. The disciples are over here, frantically panicking about feeding 5,000 people. But it took a little boy with the smallest amount possible to feed all those people. Not in his own power, not in his own ability, not from his own provision, but because he gave it to God. Jesus gave the Eucharist, blessed God with what this boy had given and provided for the crowd with this provision. So God makes us aware of other people. We move towards other people, 
we move towards God, and God is the one that provides for their need. So that's, just, that, that's in brief, the story of the five, Jesus giving the 5,000. But where, what happens after this? They wanted to make him king, so clearly it's all going to go well, right? Well, we, we know what happens at the end of, what? Well, all the Gospels. The next part of this story, I think it's John, end of John 6, 48, I think. I'll pop it up. So Jesus then makes it really clear why he did this miracle. He then says to the crowd that follows him again, I am the bread of life. So he's, he's just fed them, quite a miracle, people followed him because of it, and he now says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here, he's pointing to himself, is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. So is this bread better than the same as or worse than the previous bread? Better, just making sure. So this bread is better than that bread. Who gave the bread over in the, in the desert? Who gave that bread? God. And Jesus is saying, I'm the bread that you're not going to die from. So what's better? Jesus' Jesus bread, yeah? So I'm, I'm saying this because sometimes people say, Jesus didn't say that. Well, if you picture it, it's very hard to see any other way of reading this situation. I am the living bread. Now, I know the bread goes off when it goes mouldy, but bread doesn't move, does it? Yeah, it's not living. It hasn't got the Mrs. Gren stuff, does it? Yeah, the, sorry, that sounds GCSE. Or the movement, reproduction kind of stuff. Yeah, it doesn't have that. It's bread. It's cooked. It's baked. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's Ruben who goes and it will fumble the thing in the corner, yeah. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. So think about this living bread. Jesus, also known as the living water. There's, there's a link here, just help you with that one. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, are the, are the Jews, Jesus' people, so happy at the end of that little bit there? No, they're a little bit confused. Yeah? Well, Jesus has given us some food to fill our bellies, but now he's talking about food from heaven, and now he's talking about his flesh is what we should be eating. What's going on, Jesus? What on earth are you talking about? So he makes it clear to them. Next bit. I think it's next bit. Yes. So he went on to say, because sometimes Jesus needs to help us with understanding what he said. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. The only way you can come to know God is if you eat Jesus. Yeah, that doesn't matter. For some of us, that hasn't helped. He's just fed 5,000 people with a miracle insinuating that he is greater than God. They wanted to make him king. But clearly, he's realized that these guys have not understood the purpose of the miracle. The purpose of the miracle wasn't to fill their bellies. It was to fill their hearts. It was to fill their lives, not with their own lives, but the life of God, the eternal life. The life that you will not die from. So he says, this is why I told you no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. 
Now, I'm not one to often talk about um, Christian cannibalism, but this is exactly what the Jews would be understanding at this moment in time. And if you do not believe me, the last verse on that screen tells us otherwise. You think, oh, Jesus would never be that, that harsh and that, I don't know what the word is, um, ambiguous. I am the bread of life, eat my flesh, you will go to heaven, you, you'll be with God and have an eternal life. Yeah, that's, that's the argue, set out of Jesus' argument. Jesus never said to eat him, Jesus never said to eat him, he did really clearly. And then, last verse, from this time, many of his who? People who follow Jesus. So people who were on the, not, not the in crowd, but the larger crowd, people who followed him on a fairly regular basis, they turned back and no longer followed him. Why? Why? Because they, they thought he was crazy. Absolutely. What on earth are you talking about? We can't eat, we can't eat animal blood, Jesus. That's weird. That's sacrificial stuff. That's not edible. So they left. Don't know what you'd be feeling at this moment, but if, you, if you've been in a space where you've got thousands of people following Jesus, want to make you king, and then Jesus is like, oh, you've clearly not understood. Here's what I really meant, and then they all leave him. The disciples at this point would be feeling pretty devastated. Where has it all gone? What is happening, Jesus? Because the next verse, I've got the next verse there as well. No, not there. Because then one of the disciples, I think like Simon Peter, says, Jesus, that's a hard saying. Like he's in a crowd, like, that's, that's, that's hard, Jesus. What's going on? Because here's the thing. Although Jesus' provision is received, his promises are often rejected. Although Jesus' provision is greatly received, his promises are regularly rejected. Jesus fed them and they happily took it. Jesus promised them eternal life, they turned away. So if it's going to be the same, if that's what happens with Jesus, when he gives them something to eat, when he gives them something to satisfy them, when he gives them something that's going to make them feel better, but then when he tells them why, people turn, turn their noses, people turn away, people ignore it. Even worse, they start persecuting him for it. What is going to happen to those who follow Christ? Because this idea of generous outreach is about feeding people with the needs that they have today and feeding their souls so that they might have an eternity starting tomorrow. Jesus did both. Jesus fed people for their stomachs and fed people for their souls. Yet, what was it that people rejected? The food for the soul. What's the most important part? The food for the soul. People wanted to crown Jesus because of what he gives them. People want to crucify him for what he tells them. Our role as Christians isn't just to have this relationship with Jesus. That's, that's not it. The awareness and the movement is meant to move us out of our own little Christian bubble. There's a quote here from Billy Graham that says, We are called to follow Christ onto our streets and into our neighborhoods. The outward journey 
which takes us beyond our own small world to the world in need, is the inevitable outworking of a genuine inward journey. The cross points in two directions, towards God and towards my neighbours. The journey we've been on over the past few weeks of joyful obedience, supernatural overflow, generous outreach is this exact picture here. You have your relationship with Jesus and you need to be super obedient to what he tells you to do. Why? Because when you're obedient to him, there's a transformation in your heart, in your life, in your soul, as you give more of yourself over to him. As you give more of yourself over to him, Jesus can work through you to overflow out what's going on in your heart. That overflow doesn't just lead you into having some gifts of the spirit that are supernatural, but it leads into an actual physical change, a physical satisfaction for the lives of other people. An outreach that goes out of your hand into the hands of others. How? By praying on our, hand, on our knees to God that he might provide for those around us. Not because we want to fill a church, but because we need to fill stomachs and fill souls. This is the message of Jesus in this story. Evangelism isn't just a mouth that speaks, but the hand that feeds. So what does this mean for us today? What does this mean for Lenta Church here? What does it mean for you guys who are sat there right now? What do we do with this? Now, I can imagine a couple of pictures here, or a couple of challenges that you might have had in your Christian walk around things like providing for those in need and telling people the gospel. For some of you, these might be on two opposite ends of a continuum. There's social justice over here, food banks, refugee camps, helping those in need, doing the shopping for your neighbour, those kind of things, helping practically. Over the other end, there's telling people the gospel, giving it to them clearly, concisely, effectively. How is it that these two things come together? The world loves it when the church does this stuff, yeah? The world loves it. Up until very recently, the church was the biggest contributor to youth work in the UK. The church is the biggest contributor to the foster care system. <coughs> the world loves it when we help fill people's stomachs, when we give them the good stuff. When we tell them why we're doing it, they don't like it quite so much. Don't preach at me, Christian. Get off your pedestal. Don't tell me how to live my life. These are the challenges and the objections that we get, that you get. But this is exactly what Jesus did. He did both, very clearly and very effectively. He fed people, he nurtured them, he provided for them. And yet, he still told them the exact reason why. He did not back down from any of those two things. And he made it clear, he wanted to make sure that people understood why he was blessing them, why he was providing for them. People like compassion, they like peace, so they love justice, they love love. Oh, it's not working. 
they can swallow all the programs that the church will have on offer to help people through things. Yet they cannot stomach the reason why. They cannot stomach the message. So where the church offers love without life, we are disconnecting the means or the meal from the message. If all we do as a church is just help people in need without telling them why, we are removing the power from, the, from what we're doing. Because although you might feed their stomach today and tomorrow and the next day, one day they are going to die. And you might have filled their stomach every day for 70 years, for 80 years. If they have not heard the gospel and responded to Jesus in their own, in their own hearts and minds, where will they be going? They will not be heaven. It doesn't mean we don't do that, but we need to be careful that if we're doing that, we need to make them aware of why. Why are we doing this? Because Jesus loves you. Because of what Jesus has done in my life, because of what he means to me, because of how he's changed my life and transformed my life, this has enabled me and provided for me to meet your need. It's, the, it's kind of a little quick, Jesus loves you. Because he absolutely blinking does. And because he loves you, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you so much that it hurts. I'm going to love you so much it's going to hurt not just you, but me. This is why it's a generous outreach. Because who provides for these people? It's not you, it's God. Who's got access to your bank account? Don't just say your wife. If God doesn't have access to your bank account, the generosity that he would be working through is diminished. The faith that he could grow in you is diminished. The fruit that could be born from you and that act of generosity is diminished. God will work despite his church. God will work despite you and your lack of faith. But he wants to work through your faith. He wants to work through your obedience. He wants to work just like this little kid with his barley loaves, the cheapest possible lunch he could have had that filled his little stomach. God wants to use that little to bless prayer. God wants to use the little that you have, no matter how small it might seem, no matter how insignificant it might seem, to generously bless and provide for people for eternity. In the reckoning of man, there is always a deficit. In the reckoning of Christ, there is always a surplus. Jesus changed that little into too much, an abundance, a blessing, a significant blessing that had meaning. If we don't give our little over to him, the provision that he could have provided will come from somewhere else, and we are out of that story. So the challenge is for you as individuals. Which side of that continuum do you lie on? Are you normally the person who loves to give good things to people? Are you that kind of person? If you kind of maybe shy away from giving them and telling them why we're doing it. Are you the kind of person that loves just to reason with people, explain to them what Jesus is doing for them, but not actually make sure they're going home to a full stomach and a decent bed tonight? I don't know where you lie on that continuum, but Jesus is saying very clearly, it's not one or the other, it's both and. We bless people, we provide for people, we look after people, we take people in, we adopt people, we foster people, we pray for people. 
and we tell them why. We make it clear the hope that is within us. We make it clear the reason why we love them. We make it clear how we're able to love them despite the costs. So just like there was a surplus left over from the feeding of the 5,000, there will be kingdom gifts spilling over from your kingdom obedience. There will be gifts that come out of the surplus of you being obedient to what Jesus is asking you to do. So for us as members of the church, what we're called to, we're called to bless, we're called to provide, but we're also called to preach and called to proclaim. Let us not shy away from any one of those callings. I can say categorically that there are so many of us in this room right now are already doing those things. But my prayer for you guys, my prayer for us as a church, is that we step into a new phase, a new <coughs> a new place of blessing in the month of that. I don't know what that means for each individual, because this church is only made up of individuals. I can't tell you all to go and do something. God does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The church works well. The church is blessed when each individual in it is fulfilling the role that Christ has given them, is being obedient to what Christ has given them. And as I said, I don't know for each individual here what that means. I don't know for each individual what that cost is. I don't know what the price to pay for you will be to be obedient, to see that provision miraculously come down from heaven, to meet the needs of those around you. But I do know that when you step out in faith, when you're obedient to what Jesus asked you to do, when you give what little you have to meet the needs of others, Jesus will take it. It will be a blessing both to God and to those around you. Because the cross goes in two directions. Let's pray. So I'm going to do a short prayer for two things. For repentance and a prayer for blessing. So God, right now, we as a church full of people who love you. We want to say sorry, God, for the times that we've been so self-centered and self-motivated that we haven't even been aware of those around us, that we haven't been made aware of those, in, even in our midst, who are in desperate need of something more. Forgive us, God, for having been so focused on our own little space that we have forgotten the wonderful world and the beautiful people you've put around us. So God, I pray now, for a blessing that as we move towards those around us, as we move towards those in need, as we lift our eyes up to the horizon to see what it is that you've got for us, this church, and this town around us, God. We ask that you bless us both to provide for those, but also to proclaim your message of eternal life to those as well. Give us the words in season. Give us a word of hope and love and life. May your spirit speak through us. And God, as we're made aware, as we move towards others, we know we have faith, God. Increase our faith that you will provide.
miraculously, supernaturally. We want to see you as the generous God. Whereas we might just see little, God, you see a heck of a lot more. Give us the courage and the conviction to move, move out of our comfortable little space so that we can see the heart that you have for us, Jesus. The heart you have that led you to the cross, that you gave up your life so that we may have life. Life in abundance, life in all its fullness, a life that lasts forever. Help us to take this message to those around us. Amen.